and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. In each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Alison, and can you believe it? We're, we're drawing to the end of the financial year. Indeed, year end today, once uh, markets close, and it's been quite a year. So, Matthew, if you don't mind, I thought it'd be interesting this week to take a bit of a stock take over the year. And it's fair to say that the global economy, I think, has pretty much performed better than expected. Well, certainly that's my perception. If we think about December last year, economists were sort of talking about US economy to grow at just 0.2% this year. But six months on, the expectations that it'll be more like six times this at 1.3%. European economy was expected to shrink. We were talking about a recession, only a mild one. Uh, but now are expecting growth of 0.6%. And even China, for all of its problems, has seen a growth rate upgraded from 4.5% to 5.7%. So I think pretty pretty much unanimously stronger than expected. So what's caused this turnaround? Yeah, that's right, Alison. And same with us too. Um, you know, when we look at our forecasts, it certainly surprised us on the upside the first six months of this year. I think there's three reasons. The first is that impact of the Ukraine-Russia war wasn't as bad as what we had been expected. If you look back last year, we expected a much more sustained hit to inflation through global energy and food prices than what actually eventuated. So, for example, if you look at oil and wheat prices, they're actually 20% lower today than what was ex- they were expected to be six months ago. Mm. And European gas prices are 75% lower than what people thought including us, you know, it was going to be the case uh, just as, as short as six months ago. Second factor, yeah, 75%. Yeah, and you can imagine the um, the, the positive uplift that's um, provided to the European economy, for example. Yeah. yeah now, the second factor is China. Now, China's actually outperformed, even though it's slowing at the moment. The first half of this year, it really outperformed, recovering really strongly over you know, out of those COVID lockdowns that really plagued growth in that re- in that country in 2022. And lastly, global trade benefited strongly from those developments, uh, you know, Europe performing better and, and China about performing. And that global trade spread the good news throughout the world. And you can see it in Australia, where we've been a major beneficiary from that through um, our resource and agricultural exports. Yeah, absolutely. But taking some of your answers there, though, it's interesting that, you know, we're pointing to lower gas um, food and prices and so on as being a, a source of growth, which which certainly makes sense. But how do we explain the inflation this year then? Yeah, I suppose there is a perception that inflation's been stronger than and what it has, what it's expected to be. But in reality, um, inflation was... Um, you know, really not revised up at all. If you look at the US, you know, at the end of last year, forecast was expecting this year to have an inflation rate of about 4.1%. That's unchanged to today. Europe's uh, inflation, expected inflation to 2023 has actually been downgraded from 6% in December to 5.4% now. And China also downgraded from 24 to 1.3%. So, what I think has happened, why we get this perception that inflation's sort of been stronger is that, you know, despite that unexpected fall in those supply side determined prices um, like oil and gas and food that I mentioned, it's been offset by an unexpected, and this is where the unexpected bit comes in, unexpected rise in the prices of services, which have been all demand driven. They've been driven by demand side pressures and that's associated with this stronger than expected economic growth. Now, these demand side drivers have kept 
the so-called core inflation, that's the thing that um, central banks look at, higher than what we expected, uh, even as those headline rates came down. And that surprised not only us as forecasted, but also the central banks. And they've been forced to raise rates by more than expected in an attempt to quell the demand side of the economy to leave pressure on that core inflation. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, a really interesting summary of the year, but uh, now to the fun bit, bit of a crystal ball gazing um, and to get some predictions, perhaps if we could whip around the globe, if I can be uh, so bold to ask you to do that, <laughs> um, starting with the US. Yeah, we'll whip out the crystal ball and you know, <laughs> on record so we can look another six months down the track and see how we went. Yeah, we'll look at the well, score it- <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, the US has been the most resilient of the major economies, but what we're seeing now is those high interest rates and elevated inflation are now eating into US growth. We're getting, you know, timely data showing that's the case. There's another Fed rate hike to come, and so we think the US economy will slip into recession in the second half of the year. It'll be mild, but nonetheless a recession, and that'll be followed by a slow recovery over the 2024. Look, those lower energy prices will continue to drive headline inflation lower, but the core inflation, those service sectors, they'll continue to remain sticky. Now, the Fed's, as I said, close to finishing its tightening cycle. It's got one more 25 basis point rate hike to go in July. But with that sticky core inflation, um, as you've been pointing out for a long period of time now, even though the market's vacillated, you know, you've been sticking to it. And that is that the Fed will keep rates on hold until 2024. And it won't be until then that it'll begin its easing cycle. I agree with that one, I think, Matthew, although I think there could even potentially be two rate rises on the horizon. But we'll uh, mm. we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and Europe, we've certainly got some challenges there already in a mild recession. But what, what are you thinking for the year ahead? Yeah, you're right. But Again, looking at the data, we think that Europe's emerging from the recession as we speak, but that growth will continue to be anemic. Inflation's falling. It'll drop to around 3% by year end from a peak of, you know, 11%, you know, back as back in November. It doesn't seem that long ago, does it? But that core inflation is going to remain persistent and it's unlikely to get back to the ECB's target of 2% until uh, the end of next year, actually. The ECB has flagged another rate hike in July, and just like in the US, as you mentioned, there's a risk of a further rate rate increase in September. Matthew, perhaps to your view on China next. Well, it's interesting, China, isn't it? You know, it's become the yo-yo economy. (laughs) At the moment, it's in a downswing, and that follows... Uh, a strong upswing in earlier on in the year, and that followed the big downswing that we had, <laughs> um, you know, following last year's COVID lockdowns. Well, part of the reason for this yo-yo effect, uh, Alison, is that Chinese authorities have got used to this playbook for dealing with economic slowdowns, which is roll out the fiscal stimulus in the form of infrastructure spending support of the property market and ease financial conditions by increasing bank lending so that developers can do infrastructure and and uh, property uh, expansion and also lower interest rates. And we expect that playbook to be rolled out uh, again in the second half of the year with uh, a further relaxation we see coming on home purchase restrictions, particularly in those tier two cities, lower down payments for um, second home mortgages. They're talking about increased funding support to developers. They're talking about modest boost to financing through um, bank lending, accelerated local government bond issuance, again, to support uh, infrastructure and spending and and, uh, property development in particular, 
and further rate cuts to interest rates and, and uh, cuts to the bank reserve requirement ratios. It's a lot of measures. How do you think China's going to get away with this when the rest of the world can't, just thinking about those, you know, bouts of inflation we're seeing across the globe? Yeah, you, you did right. I mean, you know, other other uh, policymakers would love to be able to just roll out that playbook, but as you say, they can't because of the threat of driving inflation high. Now, the thing about China, it's got no inflation problem whatsoever. In fact, its problem's the opposite. So inflation there is currently running, Alison, at 1.3%, which is below its target rate of 3%. That's how China gets away with that sort of thing. And how is inflation so low in China? Yeah, well, that That is the key question, you know. Well, you know, if you've got an economy that doesn't exactly work uh, on the basis of market forces, your ability of of the authorities to uh, fix prices helps a lot in keeping price inflation down. But China's also been a beneficiary of the Ukraine-Russia war. And, you know, if you look at China's electricity and fuel prices, they actually fell over the year to May. It's uh, it's certainly in a different stage of the economic cycle, which, you know, certainly uh, creates a bit of interest on the global scene. Okay, so Matthew, maybe just in summation, a three-sentence wrap for the outlook for the coming financial year. Uh, you're a hard taskmaster, Alison, <laughs> always you know, pulling out the whip to make it quick and snappy. Okay, three sentences. Mild recession in the second half of the year as the global economy adjusts to those higher interest rates. Slow recovery next year as central banks begin lowering rates only gradually to ensure inflation heads to that target rate um, by the end of 2024. and Finally, last sentence, we must wait until 2025, until that global economy is finally shaken off the fallout from COVID. A long time. It is a long time indeed. So, Matthew, look, I tend to agree with those those conclusions. I think it is going to be a, a slower growth environment. I might just add that potentially, I think, as we've talked about for quite a while, that stickiness of inflation, that presence of wage pressure continues to be there and strong employment. So, for me, the risk is that the central banks do have to keep uh, pushing forward with rate rises, which could see that recession perhaps be a little bit deeper. Hopefully we don't get there, but I think that's something that I'm I'm a little attuned to. And if we do get there, I don't think the markets are pricing for that at this point of time. So we could see a little bit of volatility. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with you. The risks are on that side of the ledger. Yes, so it could be, it'll be yet another interesting year. So Matthew, thank you for joining me again this week. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10. Mm -hmm.